I'm Sawyer Witted. And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Shall we move on to force? Yes. Okay, great. We'll Love what I got here. for force. The fours are going to be defined by this desire to let their uniqueness and their specialness be seen by others. They want to be known. And so they kind of have this knowledge already that they are special, that they are unique, but they really want other people to see that as well. So they're going to emphasize the aspects of them that make them individual, make them independently themselves. So that other people see that, will be drawn in. They're also going to oftentimes over-explain themselves because they just want to be seen and heard and understood. I think this is probably the most on-the-nose obvious one. Luna Lovegood. Nope. N- no? Oh I, I think that Luna is so... E- it, obviously, she comes out as a four. That's what people see. I think it is so wrong. I think people see weird and different and think oh she must be a four. Oh, because i mean she likes being weird and different so she's a four nope <laughs> what do you nope. think what type do you think she is i see her as a nine i am nine okay i can see that <laughs> i can't I can, wait for that i one. can easily see that yeah. i knew it that was the one i knew i, I <laughs> we just, were gonna disagree yep on. i well yeah i guess we can't talk about and it right I, now yeah. we'll talk about it later we'll get there i totally get the four you know i'll fight it but i totally get it i just yeah. it felt too it just, I don't know. There's something about it that say, doesn't line up for me. It seems, I will say, yeah, I did not say that she was a four just because she's super weird. Oh, I know. I know you're obviously <laughs> have gotten into it, but I, <laughs> but I think that's, yeah. it's easy to get on that mindset of like, okay, yeah. well, she's different and, and special and unique. Sure. So obviously, okay, how does that motivate? You know, that, totally. was, that was my mindset, but can't wait to get into that later. That'll be great. <laughs> okay, great. What is another four that you had? So I had Ron Weasley as a four. Whoa. Okay. I had him as a nine. A nine? Interesting. <laughs> so we oh, switched I love our him. Luna. We switched our Luna yes. and Ron. Ron is another one that Ooh, that's gonna be a I big feel debate. very confident about that one. Just, I do too. Oh, we are gonna argue that one so hard. Can't wait. Can't wait to see your argument on the All mirror. Right, let's try <laughs> hmm, Oh, I can't as wait. a nine. Okay. Talking about the mirror of Irised? Uh Yeah. Yeah, love it. I have that as part of my evidence for his nine. <laughs> oh, it's going to be bad for you. Okay, let's see if we have any fours in common, shall we? <laughs> um, I had Remus Lupin as a four. A nine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you and me with our fours I and know. What I, th- I have another one, and I know you're not going to have it, because well, this is one I knew we were going to be different on. Well, I just said it in our threes. I put Lucius Malfoy as a four as well. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. So he's also one that Oh, I, man, things are falling apart debate. quick. 
because I know fours. this next one you're gonna. You have. know what's funny? It doesn't surprise me because fours are so incredibly complex. Mm-hmm. They're so complex. Oh yeah, and they love it. Honestly, um, I had so many characters that are like maybe four, maybe four, yeah. and then I switched back, and then others that I was like, okay, I'm gonna okay. go with it. So, all right, tell me who's your other four? Snape. Snape is a four. Yep. Okay, that doesn't surprise me. Okay, I had him. <laughs> I have Snape as a six. A se- oh, I thought you were gonna have him as a five. Mm-mm. Nope, I got him as a six. Okay. Oh, okay, man. great. Things are falling apart. We had zero fours in line. We did. I think you'll agree with this one. <laughs> okay. This is a side character. This is just kind Perfect. of like a passing character. I had Moaning Myrtle as a four. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Come to throw something else at me. Why would I throw something at you? Don't ask me. Here I am, minding my own business, and someone thinks it's funny to throw a book at me. But it can't hurt if someone throws something at you. I mean... It'll just go right through you. Sure! Let's all throw books at Myrtle because she can't feel it. Ten points if you get it through her stomach. Fifty points if it goes through her head. She's filled with self-pity and she feels misunderstood by everyone all of the time. (laughs) And what does she do in feeling misunderstood? She withdraws. Mm. Force fives, nines, they withdraw. That's like a a knee-jerk reaction for them. That's what she does. So, Moni Myrtle, (laughs) four all the way. All right. Well, we barely talked about fours. Let's yeah. talk about fives. All right. <laughs> Since we can't agree on any fours. Well, now we're getting quite the backlog in the argument section, but that'll That's be great. So great. All right. We are now into the head triad. We've left the heart triad. These are the people who are going to be focused yep. on security, safety, that kind of stuff. So fives are defined, again, because they're in the security triad. They're in the head triad with the sixes and sevens. They want safety. They want security. But Oftentimes, they have this scarcity mindset that they're not going to have enough resources or knowledge or capability to interact with the world and relationships in the ways that they think they should or that will require of them. And so they often end up hoarding themselves, their their emotional lives, their resources, anything that they have that makes them feel safe and secure. They're going to hoard that because they always don't feel like they have enough. So I only have one five. When I started this, I had like four or five characters five. I was like, wow, I didn't think I'd have so many fives, but they all they all got moved off and I now only have one left. And I, I don't have think you have a multiple fives. So the first five that I have is Albus Dumbledore. Nope. What do you have Albus as? I have Albus as an eight. Oh. Yes. The other five that I had was Arthur Weasley. Really? I had Mr. Weasley as a five. He was really hard for me to type. Yeah. Really hard. Because we don't get a ton yep. of him, but yeah. I put him as a five. I know. He was one of those that I, I kind of threw in at the end. It was... Okay. What'd you put him as? It was between five or nine, and I went nine. I will say, I ended up having a lot of nines. Again, with the way I was going into it, with the motivations... <laughs> I had the least amount of nines. <laughs> Look at all the times. I just... I don't know. There were so many that I just... When I went into it, it's like, okay, what are they... What are they motivated by? What is their goal here? And again, maybe it's just the nature of of certain sure. characters in book. Again, this is fiction. Yeah. So there's going to be characters that from their motivations might come off some way, but then in other elements, when you get more nitty gritty, they could come off another. So again, yeah. they're not real people. They're not going to be perfectly in line, yeah. but I think this will be an interesting thing to talk yeah. on as we'll probably hit it from different angles. Yeah. I did not give much thought to Weasley. He's, yeah. yeah he, you just don't see him that often. True. And... I just kind of threw a number out there because he's not a main character. But. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I had Mad-Eye Moody as a five as well. Oh, I don't think I did Mad-Eye Moody. No problem. Yes, that one definitely makes sense, though. Alistair Moody. Ex-Auror. Ministry malcontent. 
and your new defense against the dark arts teacher. He was someone who I was going to leave off our original list, and you yeah. were like, let's do Mad Eye. <laughs> <laughs> that was you, yep, you goober. Yep. <laughs> anyway, he's a great character. It. I just, so, I, he's not on my list. <laughs> that's totally okay. So, Moody, first of all, you can't avoid the fact that he has tons of trinkets. Mm-hmm. He's also very emotionally aloof. And literally, his eye, one of his trinkets, helps him observe things better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, fives like to be withdrawn and to observe, right? They're often called the observer. Yep. So I just had to laugh when I was... After I typed him as a five, I had the thought about his eye. I didn't even think about his eye. Yeah. But it was just a funny thing to add in there. <laughs> but another reason why I would say I think Mad-Eye Moody is a five is... Again, we don't get as much Mad Eye as I wish we, you know, I as know. we do in the books. Yep. I mean, I feel that way about basically all the characters. But I think that Mad Eye in the Deathly Hallows Part One, again, when they're, you know, that scene I mm-hmm. referenced earlier. Well, I guess it's the only scene that Mad Eye's alive in. Yep. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> when they're all transforming into Harry. Yep. In the room. When they first are all arriving, Tonks and Lupin walk in and they're about to announce the fact that they're pregnant. And mm-hmm. he just shoves past them, completely unaware <laughs> emotionally, and says, By the way, Wait till you hear the news. Remus oh, and I. Right. We have time for a cozy catch-up later. And just gets down <laughs> to business. Also, when Hagrid says a sen- that sentimental thing that we talked about earlier, he was like, 16 years ago, Harry, I brought you here, and it should be only right that I'm the one who takes you away. He goes, Yes, it's all very touching. Let's go! <laughs> Something that I love about fives is, again, they do prefer this withdrawn stance, but both their security path, eight, and their stress path, seven, are both assertive numbers mm. so it's so fascinating when you have this five who tends to be five tend to be quiet they tend to sit back in social situations and just observe it's so funny when you see them either stressed out or super secure because they just become this assertive energy it's mm. really interesting and and it's often an unpolished energy as well and i think we just see that in moody like he's, yep. he is just a very unpolished person <laughs> mm. yes um, very much so <laughs> And then one other person that I had that I kind of just threw in, I think Professor Trelawney is also a five, the divinations mm. teacher. From the first moment you stepped foot in my class, I sensed that you did not possess the proper spirit for the noble art of divination. No, you see, there, uh, you may be young in years, but the heart that beats beneath your bosom is as shriveled as an old maid's, your soul as dry as the pages of the books to which you so desperately cleave. So I threw her in there too. I think she's very fearful. You can see that. So mm. it fits in the head triad. But also like she's a divination teacher, which is all about seeing and perceiving in your mind, right? The yep. thing that she says to her students at one point is, First, you must broaden your minds. Again, with the ocular piece of this like Mad-Eye Moody <laughs> that I'm just realizing she also has these ginormously magnified glasses so that she can see everything clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which again is yep. just an interesting five-ish <laughs> quality okay do you have any other fives I have one more five. Oh, who Voldemort Voldemort as a five I feel very confident about this one purely okay. based off of the core motivations this is the one that I think for me Everything just kind of clicked when I was going through it. What did you have? I have him as an eight. Yep. That's what I figured. I I struggled having him as an eight for a long time right. for a reason that we'll get to. Um, Can't but, wait to get to it. But yes, I, I just couldn't help but end on five. It just felt too perfect when I was seeing what I saw, at least. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Shall we move to the sixes then? Yes. So sixes often have this fear that they cannot trust themselves. Hmm. They tend to worry that 
you know, all of the things could possibly go wrong. You know, they, they kind of have this eye for danger of all these things that could go wrong and ultimately leave them abandoned. Like that's their fear because if they don't trust themselves, then if they're abandoned by themselves, the only person they have is them <laughs> hmm. and they don't trust themselves. So that, I mean, that's a terrifying place to be in. And so sixes often deal with a ton of worry that is very outward and projected onto other people. They also are going to kind of ascribe to authority figures, like we talked about with the ones and the twos. And so that's something to also keep in mind with them. Hmm. Who is your first six? My first six, and I think I think an obvious six, is Neville. Yeah. Totally. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I won't let you. You'll get Gryffindor into trouble again. I'll fight you. Neville, to me, is the epitome of, and this is where you get into some of the generic naming conventions of, oh, they're the loyalist. Well, that <laughs> that definitely lines up for Neville. He struggles with a lot of self-doubt, obviously. In your description there, the fear of being accountable to yourself or, or having to count on yourself, that is his biggest fear. He always fears that he is not capable and a lot of times his loyalty comes from that. And he is loyal to those because he views them as as his protector and those who are going to lead and guide him. So he is loyal to them in return. But I also think he's got one of the most beautiful arcs in the whole series in yes. how he progresses towards the end and is able to stand up himself, even though others are not. He is the one taking the lead in that right. as a way to, again, in this sense of loyalty and protection of those that he is closest with, he is willing to step out kind of embracing his sixness but also standing up for what he believes in courageous amongst his fears yeah he's courageous yep yeah that's the that is the virtue of six is courage mm. it's not the absence of fear he still has fear oh he's yeah moving forward boldly trusting himself and leading other people in, in the second movie when gilderoy's pixies are destroying the classroom <laughs> neville gets picked up and put on the chandelier and he says something that kind of reveals a big thing for us of this character he goes why is it always me we see neville so fearful all of the time and these quote-unquote worst case scenarios always happen to him yeah and so he just has this perfect <laughs> line of like why does it always happen to me now you could see that kind of as a four-ish line as well but i think as we would both agree since we both think he's a six yep his his words come from a fearful place yes. not from an not from a i need attention place yes i don't think neville cares if he has attention at all ever mm -hmm. <laughs> like he's very much he wants security he wants safety yep also sixes as i said before they want a guide they want an authority figure to attach to so in that second movie when gryffindor dormitory is it's trashed and it's ransacked mm -hmm. we find out about that because neville sees it and he runs to tell harry he's already allied himself now by year two he's already allied himself with harry harry is a leader and if you watch he often looks when something is happening in a group dynamic he often looks to harry to see how harry's mm. responding yep and he takes his cues from him and that's just an interesting thing it's not it's not ron it's not hermione it's it's harry he attaches yeah. to a strong character as harry is and and uses them as a guide and then also in the third movie when lupin says never what frightens you most of all professor snape. sorry professor snape professor snape <laughs> frightens all Neville's answer is Professor Snape, another authority figure, <laughs> which again, yeah. it's just interesting. Like his biggest fear is Professor Snape. Mm -hmm. And then as you were saying, his arc is just so beautiful. Neville actually is my all-time favorite character of the uh. whole Harry Potter series. I dressed up as Neville for Halloween a couple mm. years ago. But yes, his transformation, he's no longer a scaredy cat at the end. 
yep. who, who cowers from his fear. In Deathly Hallows Part 1, when the Death Eaters come onto the Hogwarts Express towards the beginning of the movie because they're looking for Harry, Neville's the one that stands up amongst all the students and says, Hey, losers. He isn't here. <laughs> he doesn't just like say, Harry's not here. He stands up and taunts these mm-hmm. Death Eaters, says, Hey, losers. He's not here. Yep. And then in Part 2, we hear that Neville refused to practice the Cruciatus Curse on the first years. Mm. Even though an authority figure told him to, he refused to. Again, this boldness that he's developed because yep. he's not going to do that to children. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he's consistently painted as a leader, which is such growth for six. Yeah. Right? He says at one point, I feel like I could spit fire, which again, I just <laughs> love his confidence. And then his final speech to Voldemort is just golden six material. Mm-hmm. And who might you be, young man? Neville Longbottom. <laughs> Well, Neville, I'm sure we can find a place for you in our rank. I'd like to say something. Well, Neville, I'm sure we'd all be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Doesn't matter that Harry's gone. Stand down, Neville. People die every day. Friends? Family? Yeah. We lost Harry tonight. He's still with us. And here, so spread. Remus, Tonks, all of them. They didn't die in vain. You will, because you're wrong. <laughs> Harry's heart did beat for us, for all of us. It's not over. And then he unsheaths his sword, yep. right? And then Harry comes back alive again. <laughs> but I thought that was just beautiful arc, yep. as you were saying, for Neville, and a beautiful final speech for him too. Mm-hmm. You hit the nail on the head with that, where the whole, like, in his arc and in his sickness, his whole anchor has always been Harry. This is who has protected me at times, but also who has guided me when we get into the Dumbledore's army. He is the one who taught Neville how to actually become more capable and more able as a wizard to perform different charms and whatnot. So I think he has always viewed Harry as kind of like his, almost his Dumbledore (laughs) to so many characters view Dumbledore in that way. I feel like Neville sees Harry that way. And the fact that in the presumed death of Harry, he was able to not just crumble and fall, but to say, no, what Harry did and what he taught us lives in us and it is in us still. We are not alone. He is with us. That is just like the epitome of of a six that says, okay, I'm not just following this guy's shadow, but I am taking what he has taught me and I'm holding it close and I'm using that to now be brave and courageous myself. Hmm. Yeah. So well said. Love Neville. That, <laughs> for a lot of those reasons, is why I think Snape is also a six. <laughs> I just <laughs> Snape, which you said earlier. You said he's a four. Yep. So that one, that yep, one, yep, we yep, got yep. a punt. All right, another six. You got one. I just threw someone in. It was no one off of our original like mm-hmm. main characters list. Did you have someone off the original main characters who was a six? I had two. Oh, I okay. Think. So what's one of them? So there's one that is hard because anyone that who's read the books knows that she is not a six in the books. Mm. But when I watch the movies. 
and this is like a big complaint with the movies, this character, is Ginny. Uh, I see Ginny as a six in the movies. Okay. I, it's hard to pull it apart because, again, when you read the books, she, <laughs> she is not a six. She is not afraid of being with herself. She has a lot of self-confidence that, sure. that comes through very clearly in the books. In the movies, you don't, or at least I feel that you don't, don't get any of that. Much. She is totally. so much more timid. She yeah. is. She yeah, was. We'll, we'll she get was into done it, dirty. but yeah, her I, I think her character was done dirty, and that's yeah, and not to say done dirty by being a six is a bad thing, but just the no. way her character comes through it, it feels like you, I only see those characteristics. So I felt like totally. I had to put her there. What did you ever gotcha. ask? Uh, I had Ginny as a nine. A nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I probably wouldn't have typed her as a nine in the books either. Actually, now that I haven't thought about it before, but as I'm thinking about it now, I probably wouldn't type her as a nine in the books. Yeah. yeah. But again. That was why we picked movies. Exactly. <laughs> yep. My other Another one. six, yeah. Bellatrix. Oh, okay. Yes. You. Okay. What did... I had Bellatrix right next to six. I had her as a seven. <laughs> yep. Yep. That yep. was, I have her wing seven. See those tendencies, but I, yeah. Totally. Cool. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, another person I just kind of threw in was Peter Pettigrew. Oh, yeah. I mean, he oh, is yeah. nothing but the loyal servant to Voldemort, <laughs> right? In the, yep. in the Goblet of Fire when they're in the graveyard, when mm-hmm. Voldemort returns to his body again. Yep. After Voldemort looks at everyone and says, none of you came for me, Peter goes, I returned <laughs> out of fear, not loyalty. He's calling a six out right there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a loyalty, a valiant loyalty that Peter Pettigrew yep. returned to Voldemort. It's totally out of fear. Yeah. And he he is just terrified the whole, yep. the whole time you see him. And he is just a great mirror character for Neville. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I love that dichotomy between the two it's it's i don't know they're just (laughs) they're both sixes and you can see how one in health follows a a strong leader that helps him grow and kind of become healthy in himself and then another who has that opportunity with his friends peter Pettigrew, but then decides out of fear to follow a different leader who yeah who stunts and both neville and neville with harry and Mm -hmm. then peter Pettigrew with voldemort attached to a very strong character too yep which is really interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Sevens. Sevens are the type that have this fear that they are not going to be taken care of. Now, oftentimes without doing some of the work of the Enneagram, sevens don't realize that that's their fear (laughs) because they're so used to reframing everything and just taking care of themselves. So they don't even realize that that fear is at the core of who they are. But yeah, sevens are driven by this fear and it, it displays itself in a fear of being limited, a fear of being bored, a fear of missing out. And so they chase excitement, they chase fun, they chase stimulation, they chase anything that will help them feel like they are free, that they don't have any limits, that they can do whatever they want kind of thing. But they they also want other people to come along with them and they want to have fun and just a good time with everyone. Scott, other than Sirius, Mm -hmm. you said earlier that Sirius is one of yours, even though I type him as a three. Uh, who else do you have as as a seven? So I think this one is obvious. Who knows with with the way you work? I think the Weasley twins. <laughs> the way I work. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. They are both sevens. Yes. Fred, you next. He's not Fred. I am. Honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. Oh, I'm sorry, George. I'm only joking. I am Fred. I was preparing for you to try and say Fred is one number and George is another. But they I are... tried. <laughs> I knew you would. I wanted to. I wanted to give them some individuality. But they just don't have it in they the movies. They just don't have it. Or the They're books. the same person they are, in the movies. And that's, it's a yeah. literary 
device. It's intentional. Yeah. Like they're not real people. So right. they're allowed to be the same. Yeah. <laughs> I actually on my sheet here of paper, I didn't even list them as separate names. You, I put either. them on the same line. Yep. Fred and George Weasley. <laughs> I didn't even do that. I just said the twins. Oh, the twins. <laughs> Perfect. We see a theme throughout these movies of them breaking the rules in the name of fun and <laughs> yep. freedom and you're not going to put limits on them, right? Yep. When they're at the Super Bowl for Quidditch. What mm-hmm. do they call that again? I don't remember what they call that. Quidditch Cup? The Quidditch Cup. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's right. When they're at the Quidditch Cup, they're in that big tent. Well, the small tent, but it's huge inside. <laughs> and Arthur says to them, their dad, he goes, feet off the table. And together they go, feet off the table. And he smacks them off the table. And they put them right back up again. <laughs> like, it can be, you know, no one's going to tell them what to do in a small sense like that. But then, of course, as we know, in a big sense with Umbridge when they get oh, expelled yeah. because they are not going to follow the rules that Umbridge has put on them. And how do they get expelled? In a super fun, fantastic, I would even say <laughs> gluttonous way, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to do it all. Above and beyond. Above and beyond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when Harry, in that same movie, Order of Phoenix, when Harry is angry at the beginning because he feels left out of the Order of the Phoenix meetings, mm-hmm. he's upstairs with the rest of the children, he feels left out. They both show up, and Fred or George, one of them says, Harry, thought we heard your dulcet tones. Don't bottle it up, though, mate. Let it out. And then immediately they go, Anyway, if you're all done shouting, do you want to hear something a little more interesting? They empathize for a second, and then they just immediately jump into, <laughs> want something interesting, right? Yep. And then they, you know, they use that ear on the string mm-hmm. that Crookshanks the cat ends up hitting. Yeah. And then also later in that same in that same movie when, I can't remember exactly when this scene is, but they're talking to some of the kids and they're like selling their trinkets, you know? <laughs> yep. And the sentence that one of them says is, Obtain hours of pleasure from profitable boredom. Why be bored? Why be bored when you can enjoy pleasure? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Obviously, the, these characters weren't written with the Enneagram types in mind, but <laughs> they feel like yeah. they are the prototypical sevens. And I'm sure there's interesting things that come out from any you know, twin types that are supposed to be identical and, and share that. Yeah. But the fact that they're sevens makes it so perfect because they can <laughs> naturally encourage each other and egg each other on to do so more good. and more. Um, but yeah, when I look at, again, the core motivations for them, it just, I, I mean, it's just hook, line and sinker. It's obvious. Yeah. You, you look at what their core fear is. Yeah. <laughs> their fear is boredom of yeah. not being satisfied, of missing out on fun. And that is 100% them. They are always trying to be the ones that not only experience the fun, but lead the fun and yes. make the fun. They're uh, assertive. Which is very seven. Yep. Yeah, they're assertive yep. in their fun. Yep. Even looking at their Marauder's map that they find and they're talking with Harry about it, they have explored and know all the details of all the secret routes, all the passages that are not accessible anymore, the ones that do work, how they work. Yep. They have exhausted the amount of fun they can get from any, you know, anything. And they don't have a fear, you know, when that is introduced to say... Hermione or even Lupin, it's like, what is this map? Why are you trusting it? Yep. What are you doing? They, ha- they don't have that thought. This is, oh, this is yep. a new fun thing. I'm going to exhaust it for everything it's worth. Yep. So it's it's they beautiful. Scrape the bottom of the, <laughs> scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yep. Get it all. Oh, yeah. As we said before, I just love this line at the end of Order of the Phoenix mm-hmm. when Fred goes, I've always felt our futures lay outside the world of academic achievement. Fred, I've been thinking exactly the same thing. Two things in that sentence. One, he's talking about the future sevens three sevens eights they're future focused (laughs) and then the other word is outside right like again outside of he wants no (laughs) limits don't you put limits on me and then george goes fred i've been thinking the same thing and then they rebel but in a very fun (laughs) extravagant way and then in the seventh movie the deathly hollows part one mad eye says for those of you who haven't taken polyjuice potion before fair warning it tastes like goblin piss 
And Fred and George, one of them goes, I have lots of experiences with that, dear Maddie. And there's just like a silence for a second and Maddie stares at them. And he goes, Just trying to diffuse the tension. Perfect seven line. Um, and then they are flying away and some of them are disguised as Harry. You know, George gets hurt with yep. his ear. And even while he's lying there, injured and in pain, he makes a joke to Fred. Yeah. He says, I'm holy. <laughs> and then Fred is like, you moron. Like of all the ear-related mm. jokes you could have made, you chose that. You chose I'm holy. <laughs> like they're still bantering, <laughs> teasing each other. Yep. Making light of a really difficult moment. Mm. Again, we laugh about it, but I really do think in real life, like it does point to that deeper thing for sevens of like, mm. it's up to them to take care of themselves. So yep. they're going to make, they're going to make light of things that are a little heavier sometimes because yep. it helps, you know, they're afraid that if they go to the deep end of the pool, they'll drown. Mm. Right. Yeah. So it totally makes sense. So good. The other seven I said that I had was Bellatrix Lestrange. Yes. Who you had as a six. I did. Who else did you have as a seven? Any others? I had one other seven. Okay. Other than Sirius, which was Tonks. Ah, Tonks. Okay. I'm totally okay with that. We can talk about her briefly because mm -hmm. she only has like three scenes, yeah. I think. What did you have? But her as? I had her as an eight. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was really I was really struggling with her though. Mm, I'm not yes. set on eight at all. Yeah. Especially in so. the movies. Cause this is another one that I felt like I needed to try and ignore what the I books. remember from the books. Totally. And in the movies, it's like a handful of passing scenes and lines and that's it. Yeah. So that's where I was like, okay, I, yeah. one of the only scenes you see is her being silly. So that's, I think yeah. that's what kind of led me. But again, this was one that had a lot less to go off of, but, you know, tried to make the most of it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, the other person I mentioned earlier, I had Rita Skeeter as a seven yeah. as well. <laughs> Which you clearly disagree with. <laughs> uh, okay. Any other sevens for you? No. Yeah, me either. Great. Eights, finally, uh, we get to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard. I can't be a, a, a wizard. Yep. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, the best type eight hero, I think, in all of fiction. Wow. I can't think of a better, like, type eight hero like Harry. Mm. I, feel like, I feel like eights get such a bad rep, right? Because they oh, yeah. tend to be the challenger. And I feel like a lot of people make villains eights. <laughs> yep. But I think, I honestly think characters are so much more interesting. I think villains are so much more interesting when they're not eights. And I think heroes are so interesting when they are eights. Yeah. But, yep. Yeah. Harry I mean, Potter. based off of the fact that, as we talked about, I have Dumbledore as an eight as True. well. I, I think that these Harry Potter books did a really good job of making characters who are, and obviously we have a disagreement on, on Dumbledore, but making characters who, who have that eight nature or at least the way I view it, the eight nature that are still good and healthy versions yeah. of it rather than just the classic eight villain who wants control. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. So on that point, eights are the type that they have this fear of being betrayed. And so they were often hurt as young children. They, they felt this pain that they had to then just protect themselves. Hmm. There's a reason they're next to the sevens because there's similarities where sevens feel they need to care for themselves. It's a little different for eights though in that they feel they need to protect themselves hmm. and that they're responsible to defend those in their inner circle. And so they're, you know, we're back in the gut triad again, by the way. We left the head yep. triad back with the sevens. And so we're in this triad with justice. So they're seeking after justice. They want control. They want autonomy. They're very aware of boundaries. It's something that comes very natural to them. And they're going to deal with anger. They're going to deal with this anger at the things that are unjust. They're going to deal with an mm -hmm. anger when they feel manipulated, when they feel controlled. They very much want independence and 
they want to be known. They want to they want to have friends and and have safety, but they just have this deep deep seated fear that they're going to be betrayed. Mm. And so they become much bigger to ward off from people seeing their vulnerable side. Yep. Yeah. So Harry, let's talk about Harry. I I have so much to say here, as I'm sure you do too, because he's the namesake yes. of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kick us off. Yeah. So one of the things that I think points to Harry's eightness is we very rarely see him vulnerable. He does not let his vulnerable side show very often. And when he does, it's with the few people that he really trusts. Yep. Which again, someone said at one point, eights trust about five people their entire lifetime. <laughs> um <laughs> Because it's just, it's so hard to get an eight to fully trust you because because of that fear of betrayal, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So when we first meet Harry as well, and I think this is something we forget about eights oftentimes, one of the first scenes we have with him in the first movie is when he's at the zoo with the Dursley family. He sees this snake in the cage and he has empathy on this snake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says something to it along the lines of like, you know, it must be horrible to be caged or something like that. Yeah. And what does he do? He lets the snake out. He frees the vulnerable creature, right? He frees yeah. the creature that is enslaved. And I think that that was my first hint as I was watching this of like, ooh, that's eightness right there. Like mm-hmm. he's advocating for someone else and doing it in a very assertive way. Also, the sorting hat says that he has this thirst to prove himself, <laughs> yep. which is interesting. When I first heard that, I was kind of like, is that sounds a little three-ish, mm-hmm. but I think it is more of an eight-ish thing of like, he does have this thirst to be powerful, to be his own like independent self. I, I don't. Yep. Harry does not seek after attention. Yeah, he does not. What seek is the motivation for that? That power. He wants power. Not again. We had talk, touched on this with the threes. He. I. I feel that Harry desires and wants that power as a way to protect yeah. those that he is deemed. You know. Yeah. Either his posse or those that he sees as as being. Right. Um, you know, injustice. Those against, in, in his yeah. inner circle, which includes himself. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't want power to be noticed. I mean, in a lot of right. ways, you see Harry <laughs> like fight against the like being known. Like his life right. is being known and famous, and he doesn't want that. Totally, he fights against that. Yeah, I didn't mention this earlier, but I also typed Voldemort as an eight, mm-hmm. and I love the idea of them being a foil for each other, um, <laughs> especially because Harry, part of Voldemort's mm-hmm. blood is in Harry, and Harry's is in Voldemort. Yep. Um, I wanted to make Voldemort and Harry the same, <laughs> the same type, because I just, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a really cool. Story. It's a really good story that obviously there's the in the, in real life situation there's the nature versus nurture discussion for things like Enneagram and others, and I think this is one where it's like, oh, what about this? There's major traumatic event that affected Harry, and and also in the magical world, even embedded a piece of Voldemort into Harry. Totally. And how does that affect one's personality right. and one's in this case Enneagram type? I think that's yeah. just really really cool. So I'm yeah. I will be arguing against for Voldemort, but totally. I'm going to be I'm going to be rooting for you because I love that connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll make it really easy for you and I'll give you a good argument. <laughs> Another thing about in in the first movie with Harry is he very easily stands up to Malfoy, chasing mm-hmm. him away on the brooms. Remember, before he becomes Quidditch seeker, mm-hmm. he, um, he wasn't even trying out for the Quidditch team because he's too young. <laughs> and Draco makes fun of Neville and Harry, his immediate reaction in the present moment. Again, eights are very, they feel an anger in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um even though they move, they kind of are very future-focused people. They feel anger as it comes. He immediately responds to Draco and just yells at Draco, right? And challenges yep. Draco off the bat. Did you see his face? Maybe if the fat lump would give him this a squeeze. 
He would remember to fall on his fat ass. <laughs> Give it here, Malfoy. Also, later when the troll is mm -hmm. in the bathroom yes. and they can't find Hermione, the professors say everyone to their to their dormitories, and Harry runs off to go find Hermione. Harry is this tiny little four foot something tall, ten year old, <laughs> who goes to face a seventy foot tall troll mm. <laughs> just because he wants to help. He wants to save his friend. Yeah, like. And that's not a courageous six move, right? He's not going there with fear. Harry doesn't have fear. Harry has bravery. Yeah. Bravery oh, is yeah. often this absence of fear. It's moving in with this, like, it's bravado, right? It's where this oh, bravado yeah. comes from. There's not a lot of fear behind that. And it's not a, I'm not speaking of a toxic masculinity bravado, mm -hmm. right? I'm talking about it in its purest sense. Harry is very brave and he's referred to as brave throughout the whole series. Yeah. Also, during the Quidditch match, when he is Seeker in that first movie, the kid, I don't remember the kid's name. I don't think he has a name, but he's on Slytherin. He's got the really messed up teeth. He knocks Oliver Wood off of his broom and then other people as well. He's just like mm -hmm. messing with them. And Harry gets angry and just like charges at him mm. <laughs> um, and and wants to take him down because he's hurting yeah. other people. <laughs> Again, other people are being oppressed. Harry's response is anger and action into that Yeah, to fix the, the injustice. Also, I love this. When he looks into the mirror of Irised, he sees his parents, as Dumbledore says it, his parents standing beside him. Mm -hmm. What a, I mean, if you're an eight who fears betrayal, <laughs> that was the yeah. thing you most desire is to have someone standing mm -hmm. beside you. I think that just that language, that terminology, standing beside you, yeah. like they're on your team, they're yep. for you. Well, and I was going to say, in, in the film the way it's illustrated is his parents walk up from behind and put their hands on his shoulder. Yeah. And it's like, it's this picture, this image of like, I've got your back. Like yeah. I'm here. You will not be stabbed in the back. I'm here. That's right. You are protected. So and good. it's family. And it's, I mean, it's right. That just screams eight to me. <laughs> yes. And what I love, I'll say this quick caveat about the Enneagram. Cause you, you said some things earlier that I wanted to say it to too. Yeah. Like JK Rowling does not have the Enneagram in mind. Most likely <laughs> did not have yeah. the Enneagram mind as she was writing these books. But that should actually prove to us oh, yeah. that the theory of the Enneagram really is legit because as she's writing characters with motivations, we just see these types yeah. all over them. Yep. And it's it's just a language that we're putting to what is already there. Exactly. Right? Yep. So the last two things I'll say about the first movie is that <laughs> he glares at Snape on multiple occasions, <laughs> just has no regard for the fact that Snape's older and in authority over him yep. and could punish him and has punished him. He literally just glares at Snape when... Snape angers him. And then also when he's getting the keys, when he's like flying on his broom to go get mm -hmm. all the, the keys, like the one key is hidden among the hundreds that are flying in yep. that tower. He very wisely kind of hangs back. I think this is him stressing to five. And this is why I'm pointing this out. Because he very wisely and observantly says, it's too simple. Even though Ron and Hermione are like, go get it. Mm. Harry kind of steps back because he's stressing to five. And he says, it's too simple. And he's observing it. And I just thought that that was an interesting, like, five-ishness yeah. coming out in his eightness. Yeah. For me, some of the stuff that comes out, and you touched on it a little bit with his relationship with Snape from the very beginning. And even though it turns out to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit incorrect in the end, he constantly has this feeling that Snape is the one to betray. He's the betrayer. And he cannot get it out of his mind. And, and this, I think, completely understandable, but in, in a sense could be viewed as like a weakness or like a pitfall with Harry is that he cannot break this picture of Snape as the betrayer, as the villain in his story, sees himself and his group that he is protecting 
as opposed to Snape and the others. So he cannot help but always doubt Snape, always put Snape in this picture of untrustworthy, even when Dumbledore constantly and repeatedly says, no, I trust him, I trust him, I trust him, trust me, I trust him. Mm-hmm. Harry can't. Even somebody that he trusts more than maybe anyone in right. Dumbledore, yep. that person cannot convince him to trust somebody else right. because in his eightness, he cannot trust someone that he doesn't trust. He has trust. to come do it himself. Exactly. Yep. yep. Totally agree. I had, that, I had that note too. <laughs> Another way that Harry just kind of fights for the underdog, he cares for Dobby mm. and frees him. Oh, yeah. Right? He's the one who gives Dobby the sock and yep. he does it very cunningly, very sneakily, but he does it. He frees Dobby mm-hmm. and he has no problem doing that. He's challenging an authority figure, yeah. Lucius Malfoy, who could easily kill him. Yep. And the, and the challenge is part yeah. of the motivation. I get the feeling that half of why he frees Dobby is to stick it to the authority that he sees as unjust. <laughs> yes, yeah. he cares for Dobby and wants to free him, and that's obviously the big motivation. But yeah. I really see it as he's like, I'm going to stick it to him because right. this guy is unjust. He is a, an authority figure, but he is opposed to to me yeah. and my community, and therefore I am going to take this opportunity to hit him down a peg. Yeah, and you know what else happens when you when an authority figure challenges an eight that doesn't trust them? <laughs> that authority figure gets turned into a balloon. And is floated out <laughs> of the house into the sky. Oh, what a beautiful scene. <laughs> right? One of the best. That's what happens when you cross yep. an eight. You get turned into a balloon. An eight well, who's a wizard. And I love that these are these are like uncontrollable, almost subconscious results. Because this is Harry Potter when he isn't a controlled wizard yet. Totally. And these are things happening that he's not... He might be thinking about it and like, oh man, I wish this could happen. But he's not right. like spell bam and that's happening he's just like his his desire in his heart that he can't suppress is saying oh i just want to stick it to this person and it happens so it's a great show of like what's actually happening inside we've used this saying before but you know how we say ready aim fire Mm -hmm. eights are fire aim ready (laughs) (laughs) and this is so accurate what you're just saying about harry he just fires he just i mean he gets angry and just moves into action immediately all the time yes (laughs) And we start to see him mature, which is cool. Like we mm. see him mature over the years. And I think he has more self-restraint as time goes yep. on for sure. But man, you can just see it pulling at him. Mm-hmm. So in that third movie, that when he is later crying in the woods, mm-hmm. again, one of the few times we see Harry show emotion, mm-hmm. he's crying in the woods and it immediately turns into anger at Sirius. Hmm. He was their friend, and he betrayed them. He was their friend! I hope he finds me. Because when he does, I'm going to be ready. When he does, I'm going to kill him. Hmm. Why is he angry? Betrayal has happened. Mm -hmm. Betrayal has happened to his parents, who he trusts. Yes. And who, who are in his inner circle. And that leads him to wanting to kill, threatening, resolving to kill yeah. Sirius. Also, I just love this since we, I'm so happy we agreed that Hermione's a one because I love this eight mm-hmm. in one dynamic here. Oh, this yeah. This one scene. So Harry Potter and Hermione in that third movie, they go back in time, right? Yep. As we said before. And it is a perfect example of a one and an eight on a mission. Hermione is calculated, she is precise, she is patient, Mm -hmm. and Harry is impulsive, he's angry, and he just wants to get vengeance upon Peter Pettigrew. Like, when they're going back in time, and they see their past selves enter the Shrieking Shack, 
Harry wants to rush into the shrieking shack, yep. shrieking shack to get Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. And my, Hermione's like, we can't be seen by our former selves. Like, what are you, <laughs> like, our past selves, what are you doing? You know? Yep. But he's just, he wants vengeance. I just love that, that oh, scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At the end of that movie, when he's waiting for his, his he's assuming his dad to come and, and perform the spell to save Sirius yeah. and himself in right. the earlier timeline. He's sitting there. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. But and like this whole time through this whole thing, Hermione has been the one to be calculated and be like, okay, well, I need to throw the stone because that's what happened. Like she's thinking through and making the things happen as they go. The howling, all this stuff. Harry's just like, no, 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 no. It's going to happen. Like he just isn't thinking in that way. But when we get to that point, the thing that snaps him out of it and into taking action, even though he what he wants more than anything is his father to appear and do that. But what snaps him into action is he's realizing that himself, serious, like these people, it's an interesting dichotomy because it's like caring for yourself, but he realizes they are dying. They are, you know, their souls are being taken. No one can take action except for himself. He is the only one that can protect. He has to jump in. And he knows he has to jump in and then he just snaps into it and he goes and he does it. And I just think that's another great picture of an eight where it's like, even though what he wants more than anything is to this and what he wants to believe more than anything mm-hmm. is this other thing is happening, he can't help but step out against that injustice to protect, yeah. you know, what he yeah. sees as needing protection. Totally. Yeah, I agree with you. In the fourth movie, he does a similar thing when he's doing the second challenge when they're, you know, he takes the gillyweed mm-hmm. and they're going under the water to oh, yeah. save their <laughs> save the people. So Cedric saves Cho, right? He comes by Golden Boy, gets her, goes up, mm-hmm. and then Fleur gets lost. Yes. And then Victor Crumb comes and gets Hermione. And Harry, even though he's competing against Fleur, winning is not what he's about. It's yeah. not about winning. He wants to save and protect. And so he knows that Fleur was taken out of the game. So he's like, well, I got to save Fleur's sister. Yeah. So he saves Ron and the sister, even though he he's knows that he's out. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be attacked. Oh, yeah, he's by, out too. Outnumbered. Yeah. He's outnumbered and he's going to be attacked by all of these mer people. <laughs> um, but he doesn't he does it anyway because he's brave and he's going to he's going to save. Mm. So I love that in movie 4. And then in movie 5 in the very beginning Dudley confesses to him at the, like playground. He's got his gang with him. Yeah. And he he confesses to having beat up a 10-year-old. <laughs> hey big D. Beat up another 10-year-old. This one deserved it. Yeah. yeah. Five against one. Very brave. He's taunting him, even though Harry's in that situation. He's five against one right now. Yep. And he can't use magic outside of school. Yeah. So, and he knows that, right? And he, he doesn't plan on using any magic, but he still like taunts them anyway. Yeah. You know, no fear. <laughs> and then this is one of the times in this movie where he shows vulnerability and he shows it mm-hmm. to Sirius because I think he trusts Sirius because of what they had been through and because Sirius is the one who, on multiple occasions, like, just really showed his allegiance to his parents Hmm. and so and his allegiance to harry himself so i think harry fully trusts sirius at this point yep and so that's why he shows his vulnerability right he's writing a letter to sirius and he's sharing his feelings openly and he even shares some of his fears with him and that was really interesting because it's one of the first times you ever hear harry talk about any of Mm -hmm. his fears he also says a great line he says i tried so hard to help and all it's done is make things worse Anyway, that doesn't matter anymore. Because I don't want to play anymore. All it does is make you care too much. The more you care, the more you have to lose. I thought that was a great eight line. He's showing some of that vulnerability, his tender heart. But then the subtext there is he's explaining, like, it's better to be independent, to be yourself, 
because if you care, you have more to lose. And hmm. he's protecting, right? Yep. He's self-protecting. Yep. And then to Voldemort at the very end, I love this. He taunts Voldemort, again, who I think is an eight, and I think that's why he uses this taunt. He says, You're the weak one, and you'll never know love or friendship. And I feel sorry for you. And I just love that. I love that, like, trust that Potter is saying in that moment where mm-hmm. he's like, you'll never know friendship. Like, this is an eight who has experienced people he can trust. And so that transforms him, right? Yep. Um, and the way that he taunts, the way that, that he just even speaks, speaks truth to Voldemort. He could say, you're the evil one. You're the unloved one. You're the foolish one. No, he says, you're the weak one. Mm-hmm. And that coming from an eight, because that's the last thing Harry wants to be is weak. Mm-hmm. So he says, you're yeah. the weak one. I yep. thought that was just a good eight line. And I think it, which you're kind of getting, I think that speaks that speaks to what Harry sees as the ultimate like diss or the ultimate like right. <laughs> pain. Like the, what he would want to hear least is Surely. that you are the weak one because right. that is his fear. So him saying that is like the confidence and bravery in himself and not being that, but also the like this, I you know, to him, this is what would hurt the most. So good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in movie six, the main note that I had here was exactly what you were saying earlier about Snape. Like, he does not trust Snape, even mm-hmm. though Dumbledore trusts him. Harry yep. Potter doesn't. He thinks independently on his own. Yep. And the seventh movie, Deathly Hallowed Part 1, when you wear the amulet horcrux, right? Mm. The worst of you comes out. Yes. Harry's worst is he's brutally aggressive and he's angry and it spills out onto Ron and Hermione. Don't. It comforts him. It sets my teeth on edge. What's he expecting to hear? Good news. I think he just hopes he doesn't hear bad news. How long before he can travel? I'm doing everything I can. You're not doing enough! He's just aggressive and and nasty. And he can't help it because he's wearing the amulet, right? But I think that's a really revealing piece of it, too, is like if that amulet was on another Enneagram type, well, how would they respond? Yeah. You know? Um, I think Ron, when Ron wears it, I think he responds in a very nine way, which we'll get to when we argue I that. He, I See, that was one of mine. I think he responds in a very four way. Very four way. See. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the point being, like the amulet brings out the worst. So I thought that was mm-hmm. a good good argument for Harry's eightness there. And then in the last movie, he's like ignoring Luna when he's running up the stairs looking for the diadem of Ravenclaw. Yes. And... He says, not now, Luna, not now. You know, he's running. He's just doing his assertive thing. And Luna yells at him and goes, Harry Potter, you listen to me right now. And Harry stops. So he responds well to assertiveness, which mm-hmm. eights, eights respond well. If if a friend of theirs or something responds assertively to them, they tend to respond really well to that. Like they want to spar with you. Mm-hmm. And then also at the point in the movie in which Harry thinks it's the end of his life, he says his most vulnerable line and he goes to two. And it is beautiful because two is eight's security path. Mm -hmm. He goes to two and he does the most healthy thing a two could ask for and an eight. And he asks for help. He -hmm. says to the ghosts of his parents, of Remus and of Sirius. You'll stay with me. Until the end. And he won't be able to see you. No. Wait.
Stay close to me. And his mom replies, Always. It's beautiful. This is the end of a type 8's life as he thinks he's about to die. Yep. And his last words are, stay close to me. Hmm. Like, that's asking for help from other people. And it's yep. asking for people not... He's, like, bringing them into his inner circle. And, and he trusts them fully. Yeah. Right? They could really, really hurt him in that moment. But he yep. lets the armor down and lets them in. Yeah. It's a great conclusion to his own arc in that throughout all of these movies, even though, you know, again, I think it's easy to, from a top-down view, to be like, oh, he's always doing things with Ron and Hermione. So, like... He clearly is, is just always with them. But when you actually watch the movies, he is constantly trying to lone wolf things and they won't let him. Like he trusts them, so he lets them come along. But so often he is trying to do things himself. I mean, look at the scene where they all become Harry and they go to the Weasley's house. At the end of that scene, all he wants to do is sneak away without anyone so that he can go do it himself so no one else can be hurt, so he can protect them by doing that, but also so that he is, again, it's kind of this twisted view of like, if I go by myself, then no one can betray me or hurt me or no one else can get hurt. So it's like it's easier if I just do it by myself. But his willingness and and really just the help of his friends to come in and be like, no. And family. Yeah, and family is like, no, I I am your inner circle. I am here for you. I will, you know, almost like that picture, like Ron and Hermione are kind of taking the place of his parents from when he looks in the mirror and they come and put their hand on his back. Ron and Hermione are coming and saying, no, we are here with you 100%. We are family. We always have your back. There is no lone wolfing this. Like we are, we're in this together to the end. And I think that is what really helps Harry in the end, get to that point where he can come to his family and say, I need help. And you guys need to be with me. And that scene with Voldemort, where he like submits to the assertiveness of Voldemort, obviously knowing that he is winning in this act, but like being willing to sacrifice himself. I think that is like, the epitome of, of a healthy eight being willing to, for the sake of his inner circle, willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah. Because yeah. I think what so many eights and obviously villain eights is like, yeah, my inner circle, but like I'm the inner of the inner circle. Mm-hmm. So I would never sacrifice myself for anyone yeah. else. And Harry is willing to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. for the others, totally. which I think is beautiful. Yeah. He goes to two. Yep. Twos are known for their self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. often to their own detriment. <laughs> but the eight does it well. Yeah. Right. When he does, it's it is truly beautiful. One of the last things that Dumbledore says to Harry when mm-hmm. they're in that like purgatory ish place. Yes. That where Harry has a choice to return back to life or die, or move on, as Dumbledore says. Yeah. Dumbledore says, "Harry, you wonderful boy, you brave, brave man." It's like a benediction, a blessing over Potter yeah. of of his bravery, which I think is just. Hmm. And H's biggest strength. Yep. So good. Woo! I know, right? Breathe. (laughs) All right. We can move on from Potter. So as I already said, and we'll just, we'll punt this one to the end. I had Voldemort slash Tom Riddle also as an eight. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that later. And I had Dumbledore as an eight. Oh, you had Dumbledore as an eight. Yes. We had them switched. I had had Voldemort as a five. Yes. That's right. That's funny. We've switched a lot of people. Yeah. We had our... um, our All Ron. our fours and nines were flipped. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, I also had Tonks as an eight, which I mentioned yes. earlier. Which again, not super sold on, but... And then I had Molly Weasley, Mrs. Weasley as an eight. I just... Yep. And sure. we'll talk about that later. Huh? You had her as a two? Yes. Okay. That's it for eights for me. Did you have more eights? I did not. Last type. 
Last, but certainly not the least. We love our nines. <laughs> yep. The nines are described as people who are afraid that their presence does not matter. Nines want peace. They want mm. peace and they want stability. They want relational connection with those around them. And they want the spaces they inhabit to be peaceful, connected, harmonious spaces. They often have this message in their minds that their presence does not matter. So what does it matter if they move into action? What does it matter if they if they actually do something to better themselves or to further themselves? Because no one's going to care. Mm. And they have this idea of like, I, I can't really make a difference, so I'm not going to try. And the sloth that they deal with of of not putting themselves forth because they don't think that anything they do is going to make a difference. And, and they really do fear that people don't care about them or care that they're around or that they exist because they want peace they often settle for comfort and so they'll kind of numb themselves to all those painful feelings and just kind of go with the flow of whatever's happening and mm-hmm. they're creatures of comfort people are kind of surprised sometimes when they find out that nines are in the control triad with eights and ones that they're in the anger <laughs> triad the control and justice triad but mm-hmm. if you talk to a nine about things that are unjust they can definitely get fired up like they do yep. want justice but also their control they are just as controlling as eights and ones are but it's a lot more hidden they tend to be a lot more controlling of their environments and, and their comfort levels. You know, they want to make sure things stay comfortable. So they, yep. they're going to control themselves by not asserting themselves. Yeah. And I think one thing I would add, I feel like at times nines get a bad rap. I think people focus a lot on their submissiveness and willingness to be stepped. You know, that's definitely a struggle. But I also think hmm. sometimes we miss the virtue of their willingness to one, be self-controlled, which yeah. a lot of types struggle with. Nines can do very well in self-control and being willing to control their desires and their wants in a situation when it's not beneficial to act or perform in that way. And then the other thing is they have this strong desire for unity, which can allow them to be walked over or, or be a doormat at times. But I think in a lot of ways, they can be extremely crucial in a team environment, in a group environment where they are the ones that keep people together. They remind people of what is true and what they're fighting for and why they're connected, why they're united, why maybe the small thing they're bickering over isn't actually a big thing in the grand scheme of things. They care about bringing people together and keeping those bonds tight, which I think is a really great thing that a lot of times yeah. people view as like, oh, they're just getting walked over. It's like, well, no, they they are passionate about things too, but they're passionate about their relationship more than they are yeah. about being right. Yeah, very true. Like most types, their greatest weakness is their greatest strength. Yeah. The and ability to go along is... Yeah. It's a huge strength. And uh, maybe some of you know from previous podcasts, I'm married to a nine. So I'm passionate about defending <laughs> the nine. <'cause laughs> Not I... a bad thing. <laughs> Not a bad thing. <sighs> so the first nine that I had, which I've already said earlier, which we disagree on, is Ron Weasley. I really yeah. struggled with Ron between six and nine. I knew. And I, I, thought you were gonna, nine. I thought you were going to do six. Because okay. that's to me, six is the like, when if you describe Ron in one word, it's like, oh, he's loyal. Oh, okay. Sure. Loyalist. That's or a fearful. Six. Yeah. Lo- yeah, exactly. He's he's scared of spiders and... <laughs> but yeah, that's... I thought you were going to go there. But nine, I'm interested when we get to that about nine. Yeah. The other nine that I had, which again, we disagree on, was Ginny Weasley, which I yep. think you had her as... I had her as a six. You had her as a six. Okay. A movie six. <laughs> yes. Right, 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 right. What other nines did you have? Um, Luna. I think, yeah, I had Luna. Right, which I had as a four. had a four. I had Mr. Weasley, which again is so one I that I can... Five. I can be very convinced of five. I might not I fight hard very, for nine, <laughs> but we'll see. Nine, so <laughs> he was one that I just, I, I didn't. Maybe I just 
dozed off when we were watching the movies or or what but sure. I, I just i don't remember many scenes with him but yeah, yeah we'll we'll see and then oh i had uh remus lupin as a nine and i think you ah, had him as, him a, as a four a four yeah. yep okay right, right another right. one of the four nine yes <laughs> swaps, indeed yeah which i mean intri- what what is so the connection between that. four and nine well <laughs> uh, so it's really funny you say that because i'll say this little side trail this quick bunny trail i know a lot of nines who have mistyped as fours Nines are notorious for mistyping yeah. of all the types because like they, mer- they merge with others. Stop it. They merge with, <laughs> no, like Ron. They merge with other people. Um, but nines and fours are both in the withdrawn triad, first of all. So they both withdraw themselves mm. to get what they need and get what they want. They do it in different ways, but they yeah. do withdraw. And then I think there's also the sensitivity to other people's feelings that both nines and fours carry. Yeah. And so the only other type that's super sensitive to people's feelings typically would be twos but twos are way more assertive yeah. than, than a nine or hmm. a four is typically they're a lot more movement oriented so i think huh. that, i think there are quite a few nine four characteristics like nines can also I, yeah. be like can get lost in thought and fours yep. fours are dreamers you know yeah. so like there's that similarity yeah i think they both really nines really want their presence to matter and fours really want to be seen and so yeah. there's a very similar there's a similarity there, message yeah. there as well yep i think what really comes down to it is like the fours primary grab is for attention and the nines primary grab is for control mm. and that's and nines yep. deal with anger that they repress or fall asleep to whereas not fours deal with a shame that they're very aware of and so yep. i think that's another piece that's that's really important too mm-hmm. when we talk about the differentiation between yep. them but we'll get into that when we argue do you have any other nines that was that was it that was okay. my full list yeah so i just threw in a couple nines i think cornelius fudge the minister of magic is a nine yes oh yeah Dispatch an owl to the Daily Prophet. If we hurry, we should still make the morning edition. Dawlish Shacklebolt, you will escort Dumbledore to Azkaban. I think he is all about control, first of all. When it comes to security, control, or attention, he's all about control. That man is controlling. But he is very controlled in a way where he does not get involved himself. Yeah. He's kind of like a mob boss. (laughs) You know, the mob (laughs) boss is the idea of like a villain nine. Yeah. Where... The mob boss is not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's going to the mob boss is going to enjoy their comfort. Actually, they're going to withdraw yep. and just enjoy comforts, and they're going to have all their unity, the people around them, the harmony they create with the people yeah. around them and the teams they build. They're going to have them do all their bidding, and I think that's very much Cornelius. Where does a nine go in stress? Six. Okay, they go to fear, which is why I think Ron's I, a nine. Well, um, <laughs> I'll save it. I'm sorry. I just can't wait to debate that one. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I really want our debates to get to a point where we can agree on all of them. That's like my perfect world. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be <laughs> humble. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I was going to add with, with Fudge, I think, you know, when we first see Fudge interacting with Harry, he is all about befriending him and it's fine that you used a little spell accidentally. Like right. this was after the, the ant uh-huh. that was, was bloated. And he's like friendly, caring. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's very the, like Igor character. Yeah, yeah. takes Ron into or takes <laughs> that was Harry upstairs in the hotel. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's like he's very much like, hey, it's fine. He's calm and easy. Not a big deal. Let's be friends. We're good. No big deal. So you can tell that like nineness of hey, let's just ease things over. It's not a big deal. Let's go on. But then at the end of the fourth movie, after we have the the big reveal of Voldemort's alive. All of a sudden, Fudge, in his stress, 
goes to six, is in fear, and all of a sudden denies everything. The relationship is done. He's a lot, you know, Harry's a liar. This is all not true. Everything's a lie. It's this total fear of what's real, what reality is. And he just completely shuts it out. And all of that relational building, hey, it's fine. Let's all work together. That goes out the window because the fear takes over and he and he shuts out. Yeah, totally. I think that's a really good, yeah, good way of putting it. I, I think also his way of keeping the peace Mm -hmm. as nine to do his way of doing that is denial yes his life is marked by covering up things and saying nope that's not true he refuses to believe certain things are true because it disrupts his comfort i think that's also where he as a villain goes to three in security right nines go to three in security yep and he very much is this okay i'm gonna be forefront i'm gonna step into the light at times because i need to Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get, I'm also going to become super task oriented. I'm going to get all of these things done and all of these little things are going to be put into place so that my plan goes perfectly and I I yep. remain comfortable and in control. Yeah. It's a very like nine way of going to three. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the, it's interesting, a lot of the like Dumbledore when he talks to Harry about Fudge, I recall a lot of the things he hints at or he talks about is how like the reason why... <laughs> The reason why Fudge, why he's denying it, even though all the facts are pointing that way, is because Fudge just, he believes that if he says it's not true, if they say it's not true and they live in denial, then that means it's not true. It's like this, this belief that, okay, right. him in his nineness saying, no, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the head of the Ministry of Magic. Therefore, right. what I say is reality. Like I have the power to make things easy you know i have the power to keep things in unison so i will just say it's not real we will deny 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 and that means it's going to be real but that's (laughs) that's that's not how it works (laughs) yeah i agree with you the other nine that i had was vernon dursley i've reached my limit you hear this is the last i'm going to take of you and your nonsense (laughs) father dursley (laughs) he is a creature of comfort i mean he is all about comfort and I think also his villainy comes in in that he makes his core longing untrue for others. He makes Harry feel like his presence doesn't matter. Mm. He tries to make Harry not existent. Oh, yeah. He shoves Harry, first of all, in under the stairs, right? The room under the stairs. Yep. And then also when the company comes, and I think the second movie, he says to Harry, he's like, bless you. He doesn't say that to Harry. but <laughs> He says, bless you. Yeah. He says to Harry, he's like, you will go upstairs and Harry like interrupts him and goes, I'll go upstairs and I'll be quiet. I won't even be heard or something like that. Right. Like Mm. there's an interchange there. And and Vernon's like, exactly. (laughs) And also when Harry Potter is expelled in the fifth movie at the very beginning Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, using the Patronus charm to save Dudley, Vernon leans in and says to Harry Potter, he goes, justice. (laughs) Again, he's a nine. He's in that justice triad. Ugh. Like he just wants justice and and he wants his comfort. Yeah, that's really all I have to say about him. Woo. Okay. Wow. We made it through. It's amazing. We went one through nine. We agreed on a fair amount. Yeah, that middle portion, there was a lot of it got us X's, there. but yeah. But yeah, I mean what, maybe 50-50, a little bit heavier on the agrees? Yeah, I think so. So the next part of this, and this will be our next episode we are going to go over the ones that we disagreed on and kind of give our arguments for them and see if we can genuinely figure out what the motivations are together and and decide on one. Yeah, and so we're super excited to do that and we will see you guys there. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.